Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, April 11th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on this podcast is Slash Film News Writer Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. Happy Monday. I feel like uh, you're the Togan Monday guy now. You're, you are the Slash Film Daily Monday uh, guest host. You know, I remember it, w- shortly after I started doing this, you asked me to come on once, and then I did it a couple times, <laughs> and I was like, Hey, is this just going to be like a regular thing Mondays? And you're like, yeah, we'll see how it goes. And now I feel like maybe I've gotten like my three month chip or something. You know? uh, well, I always love having you on on Mondays because you are you are our box office expert at Slash Film. And you love to to talk about the numbers and talk about what, what it – I mean the thing I like about you, Ryan, is – that you're using these numbers not just as a – I feel like sometimes I read some box office reports and it's like – it feels almost like gambling. It feels uh, – I don't know. It, it doesn't really tell me much, but you are always talking about it in a way that it is analyzing the future of movies. Well, you, you, for- you, What does this mean for – I mean, you know, this is good. This, this, this is what happened, but what does this mean for the next year or two? I, I I really appreciate that because for me, I got really obsessed with box office stuff early on, even way before I was writing this stuff. But it really was for me, like, especially as I got into writing about it, a way to sort of read the tea leaves. And yeah. I, I guess what's nice is that, like, you know, rarely in, in journalism do you see a hole that needs filling. And, and like, you know, because you're right, a lot of box office reporting is pretty like, you know, this is what it is and, and sometimes inaccessible. And I and there was a part of me that always felt like, you know, I feel like I have I kind of have this thought about this stuff that maybe not a lot of people are doing. And and it's nice to sort of hear that because that's sort of what I always kind of hoped I was doing. But, you know, so I appreciate you guys wanting to listen and, you know, you letting me talk about it. OK, well, let's talk about this this past weekend at the box office. Sonic 2 came out and, of course, was the winner. But you're saying that's not the the big story of the weekend. I guess what I'm saying is it's not the big story because, it, okay, great. The, the, the number one winner at the box office is always going to catch headlines. Uh, Sonic 2 did very great. I have nothing against this. I'm glad video game movies are finally finding a way to to happen in a way that they're not like critically panned. 
Sonic and Sonic 2 are family movies. That's what they're supposed to be. Paramount's doing a great job with them. It made $71 million. It is now the biggest opening weekend for a video game movie. Good. Great. It's a new franchise. We could use that. But, you know, as I talked about on Friday, this was a big weekend. This was a big litmus test for the industry. There were arguably four movies that really needed attention this weekend. Sonic being one of them. Morbius entering its second weekend. Ambulance also opening wide, a movie from Michael Bay, no less, and everything, everywhere, all at once, expanding. My question was, could the industry sustain all of this at once? Have we hit that point? The answer seemed, if, if this weekend is any indication, the, the answer to that question is no. Um, Morbius barely made it into the number two slot. It dropped almost 74% week to week, making just $10.2 million dollars. Uh, barely, and I mean barely beating The Lost City in its third weekend. That I is saw a- uh, I saw Scott Mendelson mention, he, he's the box office guy at Forbes, he mentioned that that's the biggest drop for a comic book movie aside from, uh, what was that comic book movie with Shaq? Oh, Steel. Yeah, <laughs> Steel. yeah. yeah so, so it's a, a huge drop. It was huge. It, it, it's Friday drop. Uh, so it was originally it was tracking for like 9.9 after Friday. So it came in just above that. So it avoided tying Dark Phoenix for the biggest drop second weekend. But it had the biggest second Friday drop ever, I believe. So this ah, was a, okay. So this was a gigantic plummet. Um, look, this is not about the quality of the movie. This is not about any of this. I look at this stuff dispassionately. Um I think it is about the quality because that first well, no, no. weekend well, was actually well, not that bad. Like that first weekend we were talking about last week, you know, there could be Morbius sequels if they were able to hold on to the audience. But I think the second weekend shows that the word of mouth was was sour. Right. I guess what I was saying is my commentary is not based on how I felt about the movies. Like oh, I'm yeah, looking yeah. at these numbers saying and and I agree with you. The numbers indicate you know, unlike Venom, unlike other movies that have done poor with critics but better with audiences, you know, this clearly was at best people were like, oh, that was fine. And, you know, at worst, people were like telling their friends not to go see it. Um, you know, th- this is, you know, even if it only had a $75 million budget, which has been reported, even if it does fine overseas, this is a bad omen for Sony Spider Man universe. Because none of the other villains that they're going to try to make these movies out of are as well known as Venom. And if they can't churn out critically acclaimed movies based on these lesser known characters, this stuff is going to keep happening. So they might have a bit of a problem. Um, The other key thing here is that Ambulance, Michael Bay's movie, came in at number four, only making 8.7 million. Again, couldn't even beat The Lost City, which made 9.1 in its third weekend. Uh, this is a bad, bad, bad omen for anyone who wants to see any sort of adult skewing movies in theaters because this is a $40 million budgeted, very reasonably budgeted movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and, a, and an A-list cast and uh, from Michael Bay, a very crowd-pleasing director, and, and it and it couldn't get the job done. Um, that to me I feel is like a, this is a movie that like in the late 90s would have done really, really well on a Friday night. Yeah, sure. And I think the other problem is that like, you know, you you know, and, and like the, the release calendar for the rest of the year is pretty crowded. So I don't envy Universal having to find a place to put this. And I do sort of like give them every bit of credit to sort of be the ones to like, all right, fine, we're going to test the waters. Can can the market sustain two movies on a given weekend? You know, because that was a risk for them. 
to put this yeah. up against Sonic. And, you know, we learned something and what we learned wasn't nice, but we learned something. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it, it, that to me is, is rough. You know, well, it, it is the lesson that the, the box office can't sustain more than one movie in a weekend. Or is there more lessons we can learn? Like, is is Michael Bay not the brand name that we director that we might have thought he was? You know, there's maybe a bit of that, but I mean, if you look at the cast, the 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 uh, uh, critics and audience ratings for this movie are very good, um, very like easy, ex- easily explainable, likable premise. You know, um, I mean, it's a bit damning to original movies in general, but yeah, I mean, I think that like you and and I'm and again, the other thing I said in my write up this week is I'm not saying that had this opened on a weekend where there wasn't another big movie opening against it, it would have guaranteed success. But I sure bet it would have made more than eight point seven. Um, and you're right. Maybe it's Michael Bay. You know, it's it's a combination of factors and and you can't learn everything from a single weekend. But, you know, um, th- this this is not going to encourage studios to do this with other movies. And it's also not going to encourage studios to program movies like this specifically for theatrical release yeah i think this is a bad news for original stories at the box office yeah but the but the good news for original stories is that everything everywhere all at once expanded into over 1200 screens this weekend and made six million dollars uh which was like a 4800 per screen average uh which was the second best only you know sonic only did better per screen so that's really good the movie has a $25 million budget, so that's a little, you know, but A24 sold off all of the international rights, as I understand it, so they don't necessarily need to make everything, because, like, they've already kind of recouped some some money by selling off the international rights, so, so this could be good. It's getting very good reviews, very good word of mouth. If it can kind of hold its own, get some legs, you know, this could be very good news for original stuff, and, and you know, so, so it's kind of a mixed bag, but th- those were the big takeaways this weekend. Okay, let's move on from box office. Uh, let's talk about some news. When we recorded on Friday, I was like, oh, there's no news going on. Let's record a water cooler episode. Well, it turns out a bunch of news hit after we recorded <laughs> that episode. Uh, one of the stories was uh, Fast and Furious 10 is welcoming a new cast member, and that cast member is Brie Larson. Uh, she is joining the family um, actually, we don't know what, what her role is going to be, but she's going to be part of it. There, uh, Vin Diesel shared a a photo that he took with her, and he said, um, uh, what you don't see, however, is the character you will be introduced in Fast 10. You will have no idea how timeless and amazing she will be in her mythology. Beyond her beauty, her intellect, her Oscar, ha, ha, ha is this profound soul who will add something you might not might not have expected but yearned for. Welcome to the family, Brie. So uh, th- that's what it was said. We don't really know much about this. My cynical mind thinks that, you know, Dwayne Johnson uh, said no, and they had a character. Uh, they had some kind of plot, you know, <laughs> there's a character in the plot that they needed to do something and they're like, let's cast someone else in this. And I, if that is the case, I appreciate the fact that they actually went and found a few, like they didn't just find another like big muscle, muscle, like action star to take the role. They actually, you know, uh, I mean, I guess they did. 
they, they did find another big muscle action star to take a role. But what I guess what I'm saying is they 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 switched genders. So well, but I, they also already added Jason Momoa too. So like you sort of oh yeah. So you, so you sort of got that plus. But I but I'm with you. I appreciate because this. I mean, you can say a lot of things about this franchise, but it does actually have a legacy of like allowing you know, female action stars, a, a very large global stage. And I appreciate that about it. And, and, you know, Brie Larson, especially after Captain Marvel deserves her place on that stage. It is, it is strange though. Fast and Furious is, is it has had some female roles, but like, I feel like as part of the family, you have like what Michelle Rodriguez and Jordana Brewster, who has kind of been sidelined because, and then you had a uh, Gal Gadot for a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, and but, then but and then she... mostly it's 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 bad guys though. It's like Charlize Theron. It's it's um, what's her name? Helen Mirren. Like those kind of like, I don't know. But so, Helen uh, Mirren's kind of in the middle though. She's like good and bad, you know. She's good, which is kind of the whole shtick. And but but again, I think I and like Charlize Theron getting to play a villain. That's you know that to me is actually a little more interesting than her just being you know a hero. I guess. Yeah, I I think we're both uh, happy about this casting. Yeah, no, I, I feel good about it. And it was also kind of charming because like Brie Larson, I, Brie Larson strikes me as like a very just like excitable, genuine person who likes what she likes. And and like she in various interviews at various points had been like, I want to be in Fast and Furious. Like she had said this before. And so it's kind of <laughs> cool that they were like, you know, when like with the rock leaves, they're like, you know, I, I, I sort of imagine like, you know, Universal calling her up and like, yo, are you serious? Because <laughs> you know, like, you know, like if we can get Captain Marvel in this movie, that would be great. Uh, you know, so like uh, and she looked super stoked in the photo, like good for her. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have my fun with these movies and it's been a little tough since Paul Walker left um, to sort of capture the like he was a really big part of the dynamic, I've realized. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I'm I'm I think she she could definitely help fill fill in some of that some of that charm for sure yeah okay uh a couple weeks back we talked about the oscars and we talked about uh the slap heard around the world um we, we now have uh last week the ramifications the not ramification the consequences to will smith have been handed down and we now have learned wh what his punishment is ryan tell us about it yeah, so uh, on uh, Friday, again, Friday was kind of a busy news day. Friday and Saturday both were kind of busy news days. Uh, but um, yeah, the Academy of uh, Motion Pictures, uh, Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, uh, the, the board has ruled and uh, Will Smith is banned from the Oscars for a full decade, for 10 years. Um, uh, the, By the way, the, not just the Oscars, any Academy event. Any Academy event, any any associated. And and it should be noted that Will Smith had already resigned from the Academy. But, you know, now, like, he can't even attend the Oscars or anything if he's nominated anything like that. Um, you know, so a part of their statement uh, today, the Board of Governors convened a meeting to discuss how to best respond to Will Smith's actions at the Oscars, in addition to accepting his resignation. The board has decided for a period of 10 years from April 8th, 2022, Mr. Smith shall not be permitted to attend any Academy events or programs in person, virtually, including but not limited to the Academy Awards. Um, you know, they also apologized uh, to everyone. They they again sort of complimented Chris Rock on his handling of it. Um yeah, you know, and, and this is a this is a significant punishment. It sets a precedent for any sort of behavior from any other Academy members. You're taking one of the biggest movie stars in the world out of that for now. 
God knows what that means for anyone that's looking to cast Will Smith in a potential award season movie. Um, it's a big mm. deal and it's a big punishment. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I guess that's that's the big question that people are asking around this is what is 10 years like a rightful punishment? And to me, it does seem a little extreme. Uh, and, 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 you know, you heard what I think about what like I, I don't think violence should ever be like taken i think that you know he should have been removed from the telecast you know what i mean like so i'm not saying like you know i'm not team will smith here it does seem like a a long sentence for for what happened but i think for me i think it's the academy trying to put their foot down and being like you know don't anybody ever try to do anything like this because it's not gonna do you know what i mean like they they need to let their members and everybody know that the, this is not going to be something that's going to happen again yeah yeah for sure but but it is um because because i you know i posted something about it and i had a bunch of my friends being like uh you know well you know con actions have consequences i'm like totally and you know there should have been consequences but this just struck me as like a, a pretty staunch consequence like it's it, you know 10 years is a long time yeah you know and and you know he's gonna be 63 by the time he's allowed to go to the oscars again which is crazy um you know, the other Wait, thing I, I, I got to ask you as uh, the voice of the audience, I know the answer to this, but I'm, I'm going to ask anyways. So if he gets nominated for an Academy Award, what what happens, Ryan? Well, that's my biggest question. And and I mean, obviously, he doesn't go, you know, like but but uh, like so Apple TV Plus paid one hundred and twenty million dollars for this package for a movie called Emancipation, which is a drama about a runaway slave in which Will Smith is playing the lead role. It is directed by Antoine Fuqua and it is coming out later this year. Um, it is very much expected to be in the Oscar race and, you know, who knows what, you know, Academy members feel about Will Smith now and who knows how that impacts their voting. But this f feels very much like a role that could also get Will Smith in the Oscar conversation again and this movie in the o Oscar conversation in a big way. So, you know, what happens at that point? I don't know, but this could actually come up sooner rather than later. So we'll see. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be interesting because especially in I mean, I, I live in L.A., so I see how much the Academy does. You know, they just opened up their museum. Uh, they've, they're doing screenings there, you know, every day, I think. And uh, during award season, there's so many Academy screenings like, you know, there's those like a guilt like uh, SAG and Academy like they have their some, oftentimes they have their screenings together. So if the, their union members want to see like, you know, the films that are going to be in the running, you know, for, for the big awards, like th those are Academy events. So, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that Will Smith is going to get a screening in his home if he wants anything, <laughs> any of those movies. Well, so totally. It, but I yeah. also wonder if at some point he's going to be able to like petition to maybe like have this, you know, truncated or something, you know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe once things die down in a few years, you know, like maybe he could petition to, to, I don't know. I don't know how any of that works, but, you know, like in the same way that, you know, you get you might get like a, you know, a parole hearing in jail or something. I don't know if you <laughs> might be able to. Uh, I know that's a little silly, but I but I can't help but wonder because right now it's very fresh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do wonder what happens if he if he were to get nominated and win. Like, does he ha record a video that someone appears? probably just accepts on his behalf? Someone accepts on his behalf. That, that would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, what's the chances of him actually? I, I feel like. I don't know, not not to uh, uh, 
to take down his win this year at all because uh, I think that that performance was a great performance. But it does kind of feel like the Academy sometimes does reward people for like it, it's a you know, it, it's based on their their previous performances and that performance. Well, yeah, it's it's like a. I mean, Al Pacino famously won for Scent of a Woman, which is not right. Yeah, uh, you know, like that's <laughs> not correct. And uh, yeah, like so that happens pretty frequently. Um, uh, and and uh, but I do think his performance in King Richard. You can say what you want yeah. about the movie, and you can say what you want about the fact that the you know Williams sisters maybe should have been at the front of their own movie or whatever. But his performance in that movie, I think, was as good as anything I saw last year. Oh, uh, I, I don't disagree with that. But I think what I'm saying yeah. is now now that he has that gold statue, I feel like there's less of a reason, even if he was in the good graces of you know the public, for the Academy to to vote for him unless yeah, it's like you, an amazing performance. Yeah. But what's weird sometimes is once that actor does get that off their back, then all of a sudden they almost sometimes can go on like a run with those like nominations. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And also, you know, because the, 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 the notion of what emancipation is and what it seems like and how much money Apple paid for it, it very much seems like the kind of thing that the Academy would normally look at and be like, yes, this is an Oscar movie. So who knows? But, you know, this is an interesting thing that unfortunately, again, if, if this movie does end up getting a bunch of awards talk, this conversation about this slap and everything that happened is going to carry over for like an entire year. OK, uh, let's move over to TV for a second. Let's talk about Better Call Saul. Have you watched Better Call Saul? Uh, so Breaking Bad is one of the few longer TV shows that I actually like finish top to bottom and love. And uh, to my detriment, I have not been able to start better call Saul but this weekend I was like man I really should because like I, I need to get on this before it ends I'm one of the the people that think that better call Saul is actually better than Breaking Bad I think um also Chris, Chris Evangelista also has that opinion on the site um but uh the okay so this is interesting because over the weekend they just announced that Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul will be will appear in the sixth and final season of Better Call Saul. And they're going to be reprising their roles from Breaking Bad as Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. This is kind of, I mean, I want to say that this is surprising because it I think we expected them to make an appearance in this final season as thing, you know, Saul's story begins to connect with the events of Breaking Bad. What I think I'm surprised about is the fact that they announced it and it did wasn't just allowed to be a surprise on the show. Um, you know, and you know, it's hard to keep anything a surprise these days. But uh, Vince Gogan and uh, crew were able they they shot that whole Netflix movie, basically keeping a surprise. Uh, that Aaron Paul was like you know the star of that that movie. So I don't know. I feel like they could have kept this a surprise it almost makes me wonder if you know better call Saul is critically acclaimed people love it but I I don't think it's doing you know it isn't doing the numbers that Breaking Bad did and I wonder if this is an attempt by them making you know this them uh doing the Babe Ruth and pointing to the outfield of like you know these guys are going to be in in the season somewhere 
if that's maybe i mean it's tempted you right to to watch it so maybe that is the what, what do you think is going on here um i mean i honestly just think that like there was almost no chance this was going to stay a secret so they just got ahead of it it was that simple yeah yeah i mean yeah. what you know what else because i mean it's not like it's not like stuff breaks all the time and, you know, we know about it until it's like, quote unquote, officially announced. And I just feel like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, it would have been nice to see this as a surprise. But like, does it really ruin anything? You know, we all you know, it, I don't know. I don't think it does. And I think but I feel like they could have avoided confirming it. They, I don't know. Like, there's. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's they went the know, opposite I, way of Spider-Man: No Way Home. I get it. Like it's just it, there. There's one of two ways to handle <laughs> these things, and I don't necessarily have an issue with either one. Yeah, you know what I no, mean. No. Like, it, yeah, and and I get it. Like you just go, you just you just you just do the calculus, and you say, okay, this is going to probably get out, so we just decide to get ahead of it and say we'll use it to build some hype instead of just like you know playing the will they won't they game. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question now is how are they going to be involved? How is that going to connect? I've always, um, you know, not to spoil anything from the show, Ryan, since you haven't seen it, but uh, this isn't spoiling anything because it's the show starts out with uh, every season starts out with like a a scene that takes place after the events of Breaking Bad with Saul Goodman kind of on the, you know, what his life has become and it's in black and white and I was kind of always expecting the series to at some point connect to the events of Breaking Bad and then like tell us our, his, his let us see parts of that his story during that time that we didn't see what was going on in his personal life. Um, and we, we haven't gotten there. So I'm wondering if we're going to get like one episode that's like it's, you know, Breaking Bad, the whole season in an episode or the whole series in an episode, but from. Saul Goodman's point of view. Yeah, that would maybe make sense. The, the the only thing I can't take any credit for this, but the only funny thing I saw is everyone talking about like, you know, Aaron Paul playing like a 21 year old Jesse Pinkman when he's 42, <laughs> you know, which is true. Like, you know, Brian Cranston still just looks like Brian Cranston, but like that is kind of a, an interesting thing that they just, you know, cause it, it was already pushing it a little bit in the movie, but like, you know, he looks similar enough, but yeah, now it's like, man, he really is like, he's like a lot older. It was really obvious in that movie. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Friday Night Lights and Fargo. I'm blanking on his name. He's uh, dating Kristen Dunst right now. Um, uh, oh, um, oh, Jesus! Uh, <laughs> you know what's you know what's annoying about this? If you if you had asked me his that actor's name any time other than right now when I needed to recall it, Jesse Plemons. There yes, yes. He was in the that Netflix movie, the Breaking Bad Netflix movie, and they had to like obscure his face at times because he looked so different. He looked very he different. And and yeah, it was a uh, that was one of the only things that even took me out of that movie for a tiny moment because I loved the movie. But like but that but that took me out of it just a tiny little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's let's move on. Let's talk about Marvel, and let's talk about uh, one of the characters that appears in Doctor Strange Two is this character named America Chavez. And uh, over the past week, we learned some some details of uh, how Marvel is treating the co-creator of this character. Ryan, tell us about it. Yeah, so this has been kind of an ongoing thing for a while, but um, you know, I guess it's very quickly 
for people that might not know how this stuff works. If you work for like Marvel or DC Comics or pretty much any other gigantic company, if you're working within a pre-established franchise or brand, you're generally working on what is called work for hire. So you, anything you create is technically still the, the property of the gigantic corporation. Um, so this happens all the time with like Marvel comics creators where like they'll, they'll have created a character in the comics. That character goes on to be in TV shows, movies, video games, everything else generates millions of dollars in revenue. The creators tend not to see any of that money. Um, and as such is the case with America Chavez, who was created in 2011, um, co-creator Joe Casey decided to speak up, uh, to the Hollywood reporter, um, and, uh, said, uh, so far Marvel has paid me nothing for America Chavez, not only for appearing in the Dr. Strange sequel, but in numerous animated TV episodes for the numerous action figures they've made of her for video games she's appeared, appeared in. They seem to be fine with that. Uh, Casey did mention that he rejected what was labeled as a pittance from Marvel. Uh, and, uh, but his, his thing to that was for me, it's not about the money. It's not even about the respect. I would never expect to be respected by a corporation. If I'm in a position where I can afford not to take their insult of an offer and be able to talk about it, maybe the next guy where that kind of money could change their life would get a fair shot at receiving money. Um, yeah, so this is a, this is kind of a not a good look for, for Marvel and, and ultimately Disney. Um, you know, just, and by the way, this isn't just Marvel. This is all comic book companies. Well, is, but the, the only thing worth noting is that DC is said to be better about this. Maybe not as good okay. as they should be, but DC supposedly pays a little better and, and they pay attention. Yeah. Like one of the interesting things is that Christian Bale apparently looked at a lot of like Jeff Loeb and Tim Sales work for Batman. And, yeah. you know, I forgot who it was, but someone high up at Warner Brothers at the time was like, look, I don't know how to place a value on that, but there is value in that. So they gave Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale some money. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that's, I don't know how much, but you know, uh, Marvel on the other hand has made $25.5 billion at the box office from the Marvel cinematic universe. None of that is counting any merchandise or anything, home video sales. None of that. Uh, I very much fall into the camp of pay the people. Um, it's a bad look for you not to do it. And, uh, and, and there's no reason not to do it. You're you're you are the single most successful brand in entertainment. Um, it is really just insulting and messed up that you're not trying to include these people in and you, you wouldn't be doing this without these people. So it's uh, yeah, it's not a good look. And uh, as much as I love this stuff, this is an ugly part of it that I have a hard time reconciling. Yeah, it, 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 it's tough, though, because like, OK, you look from. I'm trying to take the other perspective here, right? <laughs> Even though it's very hard. Um, if you look at the world of like video games and how many people go into creating like a video game character, like how would that work? It, well, like well, when but- a movie gets made of, you know, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, like how does, I don't know, I feel like, it, well, here it's, it's a little less complicated. Here, because here two it's people. not complicated at all. It's, it's yeah, an no, artist and a writer. Yeah, there's two people responsible, really. Yeah, Maybe I know what you're an editor. saying. In, in that case, in that case, yes, you're you know you're talking about is if you've got a character by committee, then it gets complicated. In the case of comics, that's never that's really never yeah. the case. And so, no, it is not that complicated. Ed Brubaker created the Winter Soldier, who has now appeared as one of the biggest characters in these movies. Yeah, pay the guy, you know, and he's and he's been big on the you know and and you know also worth noting that Disney ever since taking over a Fox. There's a lot of uh, authors who have complained that 
novels that they wrote, you know, within franchises where they normally are supposed to get royalties from the sales of these books have not been receiving royalties under the Disney regime. So this is a thing with Disney. They're not paying authors and they're not paying artists and people that are they are making a lot of money off of. And and is it simply just because they can? Um, I don't know. And yeah, they can kind of get away with it. And and so, yeah, again, this is something I have a hard time reconciling. And I well, I appreciate you trying to take the other side. Oh, I'm I'm, de- I'm just playing devil's advocate. I, I 100% am in agreement with you on here. I, wanna, I just want to be clear. Uh, this is very disappointing. I feel like Disney and Marvel should just come up with some kind of standard amount, like some kind of standard like percentage, even if the percentage is like a small percentage of any derivative works for, for the people that created. Yeah. And, that and, and again, even if it is a very, very, very small percentage of a large number, it's a lot more than what they're being offered. You know, I think Ed Brubaker said he was paid a total of like $5,000 in total for like everything the winter soldier's been in. And it's like, <laughs> And he said he's made more money from his brief cameo in the Winter Soldier than he did from like creating the character. And ugh, I don't know, like that, that Jim Starlin has a similar story for like creating Thanos. And it's like, I don't know, that's again. Yeah, because I agree with you. They really it would be even if you just have to write it off as a PR move, even if yeah. you just have to say this is good PR for us. I, I don't really know. And, and the thing, the one guy that really has the power to do this, I don't know why Kevin Feige hasn't stuck up for this yet. Like, I don't know why Kevin Feige hasn't come out, you know, because he could make this happen. Probably overnight. <laughs> like, if he put his foot down, he could probably make it happen. I'm guessing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have any. <laughs> I, I, I wonder why he doesn't do that. Right? Well, because, because you have to. Cause, I feel cause like he... that only helps out Marvel because then you, you, you get writers and artists who want to work for Marvel more because they know that the, the chances of their creations becoming movies and could end up making them money later in life but again like it greater yeah it's also the respect issue too you know um yeah because yeah feige is one of the most important people within you know disney's corporate structure like if he made a stink about this I, you know yeah. they would probably just cave they would be like okay we'll figure something out you know what i mean like especially if feige like in interviews just started talking about it and had took a stance what what is Disney just going to let that happen? No, they'd they'd figure out a way and they'd turn it into a good PR thing and be done with it. Yeah, you, you make a good point there. Okay, we have one last story for today. This is something that also broke on Friday, and that is that one of the directors of Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Uh, I'm not sure if people know this, but because people just assume that it uh, that the the writers Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Or actually, they're the producers, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, were the directors of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But that's actually not true. It was these three guys, Bob Perchetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. And I've talked to these guys many times. I actually got to, a chance to present them with an award at uh, my critics, my local critics uh, thing. Uh, and uh, one of those guys, Peter Ramsey, has been hired to direct the or direct some episodes of Ahsoka, the upcoming Disney Plus series. Uh, we don't know how many episodes. It's at least one episode, according to the Hollywood Re- Reporter. And uh, this is going to be interesting because f- previously, 
this is kind of like uh, following the Dave Filoni path, and it's worked out really well for Dave Filoni. This marks a huge step for Ramsey, who previously, you know, came from the medium of animation. He directed the 2012 film Rise of the Guardians. He worked as an illustrator and storyboard artist throughout like several features over the years, and obviously he was one of the directors of Into the Spider-Verse, which got made him the first black director to re, ever receive the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. So uh, this now uh, puts him in at the helm of one of the one of the Star Wars uh, uh, TV shows, and I, I'm excited to see what he can do in live action, and especially since Ahsoka is like. You know, seeing her in animation and seeing her action in animation, I don't think they've kind of captured that yet with uh, her appearances in The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. So uh, I'm happy to see what he's able to do because he, you know, uh, Spider-Verse just had such insane, you know, highly storyboarded action and i'm excited to see what he's able to do with this okay and what kind of a uh, drama he can bring to that series what do you think of peter ramsey directing ahsoka i mean look obviously spider-verse was incredible and uh and i'm very interested in the show and and i you know peter ramsey too another guy that like you know he every once in a while pop up on twitter with like some you know commentary on on a certain show or tv or something that's out and and he has like very insightful thoughts about stuff and so he strikes me as a guy that's pretty interesting. I'd, I've been very interested to see what else he does after Spider-Verse. And um, yeah, so like I, I'm very Star Wars is like my favorite thing in the world. So I'm very, very OK with this. And, and um, you know, like the, I'm, I'm yeah, absolutely. Like I have no I, I don't have anything like overly exciting to to say about it other than just be like like i don't i really don't you know what i mean it's not yeah. like but but like no i'm absolutely like you know give the guy work give him big work he's earned it and and yeah absolutely like I, I it'd be hard for me to imagine anyone being like opposed to this given how kind of roundly loved spider-verse was oh yeah no I, i'm excited I think everybody out there is probably excited for this one. But uh, we've gone over our time limit for today. So you can find more of all our work at Slashroom.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at Slashroom.com. And please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.